I've genuinely I've got like two iPhones plugged in, an iPad, a Chromebook, and none of them are working. I've got the microphone. Look, the, the one thing that should be plugged in is not plugged in. No headphones. I think it's doing it. I'm just going to, I'm not going to touch it anymore. Just gonna, I think it's, yeah, I think so. Okay. We are, we're going to, we're going to nail this. Sorry, I have to get that out of my system. I, um, I guess so. I, yeah, I just, I didn't touch it. I just sort of came back. Welcome to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. I tell you, I've learned so much and laughed so much while getting to know dozens of members of the London Philharmonic Orchestra over the past months. So we've come up with some highlights for you. This edition contains the very best and I think the funniest bits from series one of the podcast, starting with tuba player Lee thinking about going on tour. In terms of going away... You mean like packing and stuff like that? I mean, for me, it's very easy. I open up my wardrobe, I get the biggest suitcase I've got, and I shove everything in it. <laughs> everything. Everything. It doesn't matter if it's winter, summer. This it explains does, a lot, Lee. It doesn't yeah, matter. I know. What about baggage allowance? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I don't have many clothes. You know, so it's, it's, I'll just shove everything in there. And, and, and my cribbage board, which is a game that we play on the back of the bus. bus oh, what board, sorry? A cribbage. Cribbage board. Cribbage what board. is the game of cribbage? Cribbage is a card game. Aha. Uh-huh. And it's the London Philharmonic official card game. <laughs> now I'm getting to the nitty gritty. I see. And, we play- and now we start talking about bus three. And then we're so. playing with bus three. You see, in the old days, bus three would have been a smoker's bus. And of course, oh. now smoking is banned, but there's still the same sort of characters, shall I say? <laughs> That hang hang Just out. Less or, smoke. Or, yes, exactly. On bus three, and we it's normally uh, there's a sort of motley crew. We've got to know each other over the years very well, and uh, and our habits. Has there ever been a time when you're on stage and you're thinking they have no idea what we've been through to get to this point? Uh, I there... think I might have felt that once or twice. Yes. <laughs> what would you have loved to have said to them at that time? They should see the chaos. You know. <laughs> We don't always look this prim and proper, you know. You know. Yeah, you know. I think, I think, yeah. Well, actually, you know, the, talking about being prim and proper, you know, we're on stage. We've got our, our makeup on and our, our blacks and whatnot, and we look smart. That's the glamour, guys. It, that's it. There's no more. Now for some rhythm. We did a Thomas Addis piece, and when I got the music out, because his pieces are rewardingly difficult. Yeah, I actually. like that. They, you know, they, they, I agree. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I'd never seen the time signature. I think it was two three and or two, two over three or four over six yeah. or two, two six. six. You know, uh, yeah. yeah. What it meant was, if you take so let's say if you've got a four four bar followed by a two yeah. six bar. It means that if you took two groups of triplet crotchets within the 4-4 yes. bar and then took the speed of those triplet crotchets, then that gives you the pulse. So if you've got... Uh, you know, that's the speed of the bar. But actually, as soon as we started playing it, it was like, it oh, yeah, makes that makes sense. sense. Right. I was going to talk about that as well because I had um, terrified violinists run up to me. It was... Um, <laughs> I think it was... Yang and, and Ninka, they actually ran up to me and said, because I'm a drummer, you know, they said, oh, he must know. It was like they'd got a letter from the council that they were going to have their water cut off or something. What are we going to do about this? They, they said, I said, look, calm, calm down, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I explained it. But it's an interesting concept because 
We sometimes feel like a bit dense about it, but it's because we're, we're like, what's the word? Pioneers. We're the pioneers. We're the people who are seeing it for the first time and having to get our heads around, like the dudes in Paris in 1913. Yeah. And, you know, one day they'll look back and laugh at the fact that we were sort of struggling, <laughs> struggling with it. OK, so that's complicated things going on on stage musically. But what about behind the concert platform? Mark and Tanya have views on where's best to hang out before and after the concert. I just wanted to say that for me, the backstage winner prize is the Hamburg, the Elbe Philharmonie. Ah, what's so great about that backstage? It's a new hall and I think they really thought about very big spaces backstage. So every family of instruments have, um, every section basically have a, a different room to warm up. And then there is a cafeteria, which is always nice. There's a spaces to hang your instrument, even your violin. It feels luxury. There are sofas if you want to have a little, you know, rest. This must have been designed by a musician, I think. <laughs> a lot of venues do not have things like that. Talking about backstage, though, I mean, what about Cologne? Backstage, uh, Cologne. I mean, Cologne. Yeah, 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 you're right. Cologne it wins like? because because of the beer. <laughs> I'm sensing a trend here, Mark. Food and <laughs> food and beverage is. I don't, I, I don't know what you leader. mean. <laughs> What's so great about Cologne? Well, with Cologne, literally, this has been happening since I was playing there you know, 20 years ago with the Gustav Mahler Youth Orchestra. You come off stage and there are waiters and you know, people oh. backstage with each of them carrying a carrier with sort of 10 little bottles of Kölsch, which yes, is the please. local kind of, um, sort of sweet lager. And literally, before you've even got your instrument to the case, there's, there's a beer in your hand. Or, wow. or two if you're carrying one for a friend. Or two for yourself. Yes. Uh, uh, well, quite small. Instrument. They're only, they're only 0.2. They're only 0.2, those glasses. Yeah. So, you know. You're right. That's that's a winner. I mean, that's, that's socially the, the, the best. Fan. But um, quite a few venues in Germany have that. No, they, they have not, not yeah. the beer, but they, they have this cafeteria backstage, yes. right backstage, like the Berlin one as well so that's it's very nice it's, it's more than a cafeteria isn't it there it's it's like yeah. they've, they've, it's like a deli and 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 everything the berlin yeah the berlin wow. have got it good it's, yeah that's really good i laugh a lot when i kind of think about our habits on tour because bananas are, are a kind of a must and i think in our wind section there's a few people who are very religious about we must have a banana before the concert. It doesn't matter where we are. Um, so, you know, you can be in Japan, Madrid, uh, wow. Scunthorpe. It doesn't matter where you are. You Whoever goes out in that gap, you know, you might have an hour before the concert. If you see a banana, you buy all of the bananas and you take them back to the hall and you give them to the wind players. That and it's is just this kind of competition slash tradition that started with us all. My two least favourite words when it comes to tour is um emergency sandwich <laughs> which is oh, something yes. as well that the oh, orchestra yes. is big I just I mean I hate the word I hate the concept and I get it because sometimes you're getting to the airport for 6am you've got a flight a bus you might go straight to the hall to rehearse and and then you might be in the middle of nowhere and there might not be any yes. food so people might grab you know a, a prep sandwich or you know any other available sandwich stores um and and you know but it just drives me mad it's like you've got this horrible like sweaty sandwich that has been in your rucksack yeah. for 12 hours on a bus yeah. on a plane it drives me mad and as soon as somebody says should we get an emergency sandwich i just 
No, no, I'd rather oh, kind of... Nobody say I'd, emergency sandwich to John. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're tired. I just think, no, I, and I, I get it. You're probably not going to find your ideal pre-concert snack when on yes. tour, but, but not, not a hot sandwich. Not an emergency sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I just love John's passion for his fight against the emergency sandwich. Well, here's oboist Alice with a story featuring the LPO's then principal conductor, Vladimir Yurovsky. Actually, Vladimir had an interesting choice once. I'm not sure you're in this piece, Keith. We did, we unusually did a Baroque piece by, I think it's called Les Le Mans, by Rebel. Were you in that? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, um, no, and oh, it was no. Baroque, so we were a little bit out of our comfort zone, and Vladimir had the wind standing. It was all a little bit, it was very difficult. And he decided to conduct with what was called a jingling Johnny, which is, oh, it yes. was used yes, in yes, Baroque yes, time, yes. uh, like Handel used it. it to conduct, and so did Lily. Yes. And what it, is it? it's like a large staff with sort of bells on top of it. I think actually, Keith, it may be more of a percussion department. Is, and yeah, he'd sort yeah, of um, yeah, yeah. use it to keep time. I mean, Lily, uh, when he used it in Baroque times, actually stabbed himself in the foot and uh, died of gangrene from it a few months later oh, so no, no. so this was a risky risky yeah. choice from Vladimir we were sort of a little bit dubious about what he was going to do with it and in the concert uh, he got so enthusiastic about it the jingling bit fell off into the violas and no. and Vladimir was it was just a particularly difficult part for me I have to say and I was trying not to laugh uh, but, um, the jingling bit fell into the violas Cyril who was there at the time he's now left the orchestra grabbed it thought that Vladimir was being encouraging when he was sort of doing this gesture so started waving it around and put his viola down and joining in but Vladimir actually wanted the bells back he wanted so it back. he ended up getting back the whole thing was I mean, we carried on. I think it was also live on Radio 3, possibly. It was, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I do think the, the choice of um, implement, to, the, the conductor's ease is important. <laughs> and these things that is one of my favourite stories so far. <laughs> <laughs> the Jingling Johnny. I will never forget the yes. saga of the Jingling Johnny. <laughs> You, we know that you have strings, you have bows. Have you ever had to use anything like cling film and sellotape or anything that you found in your pocket to, to make your instrument work at a last minute? There have been times when things buzz and rattle. Our instrument's made of wood all glued together and there are also some metal bits on it. And there have been times where I've been stuffing pieces of paper in between two vibrating bits to, to try and stop them from vibrating. I mean, when a violinist, they get a hair crack in their violin, they almost feel like throwing the thing out. And on a double bass, a two or 300 year old double bass, I mean, the whole back is completely split open. The sides are split open. And most of the time, you know, until the thing actually literally falls apart, no one can be really bothered to get it fixed up. Yes. And so you're just pouring litres and litres of water onto the thing to try and make the wood swell so that the cracks are pushed back together. And yes. also the glue that holds together the double base is hide glue, which is uh, water activated. And so as soon as in, well, in the UK, sometimes it gets dry when it gets really cold. Yeah. You might think of it as a wet country, but in these halls, it gets dry. And so all the water evaporates and so the cracks open up. And so there are times when we're pouring cups of water down the front of our instruments and stuffing pieces of paper in cracks <laughs> and to stop things buzzing. That's about as DIY as it gets, I think. That's really, really fascinating. <laughs> and then also, Henry, what sort of things have you used to keep your percussion together? Hugh, I, I had no idea that we weren't the only section that 
pour cold water ah. on our instruments. <laughs> our drums with membranes, a lot of the instruments we use have calf skins, so natural animal yes. skins rather than synthetic ones. Our issue is that, probably similar to here as well, our instruments are often in storage, especially when we go on tour. And we might go from Italy to France and go from 35 degree heat into an air-conditioned place in, in Paris and it's raining or something like that. So a head on a bass drum can go from the very lowest sound you could imagine to sounding like a small tom-tom. And sometimes they can even split. So when, when they get too tight, we have to turn it flat and pour water on and rub the water and let the skin absorb all of the water. And then it will go completely slack. And then we can kind of re adjust the head and the what they call the, the kind of counter hoop yes. that sits underneath what's called a flesh hoop and you kind of press that down to get some slackness into the head so that you can then tune it lower again it's amazing the mysteries of instrument maintenance being revealed there. I've had a real insight into the LPO family while doing this podcast, and I've been welcomed in by everyone I've met. As Andy says, their collective energy and friendship comes to life when they rehearse. Sometimes rehearsals, they sort of kick off a little bit. You can tell that the conductor's deciding to just play through. Play th- and then it takes on that sort of uh, sort of intimate performance rather than performing it out, and it can get quite um, heated, you know. I mean, in a good way, it can yes. it can really. And sometimes, you know, when you play a really epic piece and it ends with a sort of spe- spectacular ending, you know, there's a kind of tradition at the end when it finishes, everyone goes, like and uh, you know, there's certain pieces like the end, you know, Marla, the end of Marla one and all that. Everyone cheers. And I remember the conductor, Kurt Mazur, he was quite scary and didn't seem to, I'm sure he did have a sense of humour, but he didn't always come across having a sense of humour mm-hmm. or whatever. The first couple of times we did something and everyone went, Whoa, like that, he looked a bit taken aback. Yeah, and one, I just, on? <laughs> I know, one day we were doing something and... Uh, I think it was the end of Marla 1 and it finished and everyone went, wait. And there was this moment of silence and Mazur looked at us and then he went, <laughs> It was really hysterical. And he really enjoyed it. You know, he enjoyed the fact he's, he's probably not allowed to do that in New York or yes, Leipzig absolutely. or whatever. That must be a lovely moment though, because it's, it's quite intimate, isn't it? It's just yeah. you with, with your team and sort of really yeah. being jubilant in that moment. That, that's beautiful. I'd love to see that in person. Tell a Lee story. No, yes, no. I, because you know you're saying about packing and how you prepare, and generally, I think men and women. Well, in my experience with my husband, they have a different idea to how many pairs of clean underpants you take on tour. <laughs> I don't know how it computes, but it's a really weird thing. Well, anyway, there's one tour. It's a long time ago. I bumped into Lee in the foyer, and he was in a terrible mess. He said, "I've given." He he put all his washing in. He'd handed it in to be washed at the hotel, which I can honestly say I've never done. And his pants came back half the size. So I don't know if they boil washed them. (laughs) So we walked around. Was it Dusseldorf? Dusseldorf, Right, Lee, do you remember this? Yeah, I remember that, yeah. It was a two-week tour. was it, Frankfurt? It was a two-week tour and I took seven pairs of pants and I thought, I don't know, seven, wash, seven. And then seven, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. (laughs) 
What happens on tour stays on tour. Well, here are some revelations about rehearsals now from Mark Templeton. Things aren't always simple when the orchestra plays new music for the very first time. I remember, I don't think Vladimir Yoski would mind me saying this. I won't mention How many sentences though. in uh, these podcasts have started with that? <laughs> Disclaimer. Go on. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was quite clear that there was a bit of clash of personalities between him and this composer, and the composer wanted his, his things going through. And Vladimir, being such an amazing musician and a musicologist, he already knew how he wanted it to go. And, and obviously, as it evolved with musicians and stuff, he's like, yeah. And he, he wants to get the most music out of it, even if he isn't a, a yeah. fan of the piece he will try and get the best out of it it was quite clear that they really weren't getting on at all and I walked out for the tea break chatting to Vladimir and I just said to him I said uh, said, oh you're getting on with so and so and Vladimir just said to me sometimes it is better when the composers are dead (laughs) (laughs) thank you everyone thank you thank you That's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. In this Highlights episode from Series 1, we heard from horn player John Ryan, cellist Laura Donoghue, timpanist Simon Carrington, tuba player Lee Sarmaklis, harpist Rachel Masters, trombone player Mark Templeton, violinist Tanya Mazzetti, oboe player Alice Munday, double bass player Hugh Kluger, percussionist Henry Baldwin, flute player Sue Thomas and percussionist Andy Barkley. If you want to find out more about what happens on tour, how you prepare for a concert and lots of other behind the scenes stories, you can check out the whole series wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Hold up. 